My name is Obi Diaz, and I'm the host of the Better Man 365. Welcome back. Welcome back. And to those of you who it's your first time getting a chance to listen to some of the content that we put out there for you in between big events that take up the global stage, well, then welcome. This podcast right here, the Better Man 365, I've got a team of people to be thankful for. Uh, of course, Brian Buckley, who heads up this entire organization and then people like Joe Schlabach who make these interviews happen with people who are extremely busy but um but have such rich stories. So again, I get to be the bridge to kind of get you the content so this way you get those nuggets. There's oftentimes where I talk about the podcast as if the podcast is like uh like vitamins. You know, you come in to get your daily vitamins and uh that's what the podcast is here at the Better Man 365. So today I've got the pleasure to bring on somebody who I consider as a mentor. Uh, I also serve with at church. And uh, John Marsak, first and foremost, will thank you for your service to this country as you were part of the Navy, right? Yes, sir. I was in that uh, thing for about 23 years, served <laughs> honorably. And once I got done, like I said before, I came down here to sunny Florida, like most people do, to continue you know, trying to find a way to serve. Yeah. And I appreciate you saying yes, because you, you said yes to the podcast. Now I've already had you on my radio show where we were able to talk about a 5k and a 10k, because now you sit on the board uh, for a fantastic organization and, and we're going to get to all that. Um, but I, but I thank you for saying yes to both. It, it is one thing to dedicate your time to the radio show. Uh, another thing to dedicate your time to the men from around the world who are listening. So th- thank you again for that. Uh, but but let, let's get to the beginning, okay? So, so you know, you, you joined the Navy. Uh, you become this great diver. Now you've got your own company, Legion Undersea uh, Services. And but, but, but where did it start? What's the origin story to John Marsak? Well, I guess you could say it uh, started up north in the state of Michigan. I was born and raised in the Detroit area, just north of uh, Detroit in a small town called Shelby, Michigan. And, you know, I've always had a love of the water being that I'm surrounded by it there in Michigan, you know, with the great lakes. And, and I always found myself, if I, if I wasn't in one of those great lakes, I always found myself in a, a pond, a stream or river somewhere. So I always, I always grew up with this love of the water. So that, you know, directly related to, you know, my profession in the Navy, which was a Navy deep sea diver. That, uh, that's so, so cool because like in, in real life, you are an Aquaman. So I, I think that that's, uh, that's really cool. Okay. Okay. So did you ever join a, a swim team or anything, or this was just, uh, how, how did, how did that begin? How did the diving portion begin? Because that didn't start in, in the military, right? You were doing that before? No, not really. Although I had a love for the water, you know, I, uh, I, I grew up with modest means and, uh, scuba diving and things of that nature, uh, cost a lot of money when I was a kid. So, uh, you know, about 
the extent of my diving was how long I could hold my breath before I passed out yeah. and coming to the surface, you know. Hey, that's so, mine too. <laughs> yeah. We have more in common than we thought there, Obi. But no, there so there's you know, when I when I came into the Navy, you know, I, I always knew I wanted to come into the military as a as a kid, you know. Like a lot of kids, I played with G. I. Joe guys growing up and uh, you know, it, it just I had this overwhelming you know, love of the military and, and, and at a young age, a, a passion for service. I, you know, I was always one that wanted to please people, get things done, help out wherever I could. So, you know, while others were preparing for, you know, SATs and going into college, I was, uh, you know, making sure I got the extra reps on the football field and, and get my body into shape to go into the military. Cause that's where I knew I was going. So, uh, I ain't gonna lie. I probably didn't study as much as I should have for the SATs and the ACTs, and that showed. But hey, <laughs> I knew I was going into the military, so you know. But then once I was in the military, um, actually, I was a interior communications electrician for a few years before I actually became a diver. And uh, where I got introduced to that at was when I was stationed in Puerto Rico and started hanging around the U.S. Navy divers that were stationed there. And, you know, started hanging with those guys. Next thing you know, they kind of pulled me into the fold and say, hey, why don't you come to dive school? You know, you, you look the part, you, uh, you know, you act the part, you know, you're, you're, you, everybody thinks you're one of us anyway. So why don't you come on in and, uh, you know, get yourself a dive pin. So, uh, I said, uh, well, all right, let's go uh, take that PT test. I, uh, I smoked that because I was a fairly decent athlete back in the day. And, uh, you know, from there, went to U.S. Navy Dive School in Panama City, Florida, and hence started my uh, career as a U.S. Navy deep sea diver. Wow. How interesting. Okay. So, so let me ask you this, because, uh, you know, that, that tends to be an arm of the uh, branch that a lot of people don't, don't know about. They, they may not even know that there are Navy deep sea divers like that. What, what were your main missions? What did you guys do? Well, we did everything there is to do under underwater. So the U.S. Navy divers, we do everything from salvage operations, you know, boats, planes, helicopters go down, uh, Navy divers go down and, and bring them up. Um, we also do things uh, that's called underwater ships husbandry operations, and that's basically going underneath the Navy ships and doing repairs and maintenance to the hulls of Navy ships. Wow. And then we also have um, a lot of us embedded in the special operations uh, communities, uh, such as uh, Navy SEALs and Navy EOD. Uh, we, we supplement their commands and uh, we're, we're an extension of, of their arm of diving to get, you know, specific missions done. Uh, there, there are things that uh, they cannot get done without the help of the Navy diver. And hence, we make a great team when we go out there and, and get the job done. So, but then, you know, then all of those things that you do culminates normally into a training position, because when you get all of those, you know, when you get all that experience and, 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 and you have all this knowledge, well, it, now it's time to pass it along to, you know, the, the next generation of Navy divers. And uh, a lot of the guys go to the, go back to the Naval diving 
Salvage Training Center in Panama City, Florida, and they give back and train the next generation of divers. Wow, that's so interesting. You know, speaking of the next generation of divers, just because of the um, the awesome reach that this podcast has, uh, you could be inspiring somebody right now. You know, uh, again, there are certain jobs that are out of sight, out of mind. Uh, definitely you divers that are down deep. We don't think about that. I, I, I would have never thought about somebody being under the hull of a giant vessel helping to repair it. And um, so there, there may be somebody right now that you're inspiring. What, what are the cool, what are the cool points? You know what? How about this, John? Give us the highs and lows of what you did as a career for the military. So this way, somebody right now, they, they can know both. All right. Highs and lows. All right. I will tell you this, the absolute coolest thing that I ever did as a Navy diver was in the special warfare arenas when I was stationed at SEAL Delivery Vehicle Unit 2 in Little Creek, Virginia. Um, like I said, we, we help the SEALs conduct you know global missions around the world, but one of the coolest things that we get to do that not too many human beings on the face of the earth get to do is we actually get to lock out of a moving U.S submarine while it is underway go up to the surface um, conduct operations or if it's training just coming up to the surface sitting up there and then that submarine and you, you feel really small in the middle of the ocean because all you see is that uh the the blinking amber light of that periscope of the submarine getting oh smaller God. and smaller and smaller <laughs> And you and your buddies are in a swimming circle in the middle of the Atlantic or Pacific Ocean. Like, man, I hope that thing comes back for us. <laughs> but it always did, you know. So, uh, But then it circles back around, and we dive back down into the submarine while it is moving. And uh, some of the kids these days, have, I think, have played that in that video game Call of Duty. So every time I see my son playing that game, I was like, hey, your dad used to do stuff like that. That is so cool. You know, uh, that, that is interesting um, that you get to see your son play these video games. And for you, that wasn't a video game. That was real life. A lot of that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, it, it's humbling when, you know, you, you see this stuff, you know, on, on television and, and, you know, on these video games and stuff. But again, the stuff they show you on TV and on those video games, it's not the real deal. You know, in a video game, you get to hit reset. You get to play again when you die in the game. In real life, you don't get that option. Wow. Wow, that's really deep. Uh, well, but, uh, as, as far as, uh, you know, as far as the, the low points of, of being a Navy diver, you know, it's not any different than any other person in the military. And what I mean by that is, uh, we had to bury a lot of friends and, and brothers in the service over the years. And um, going to those military funerals is, uh, is definitely a, a low point. And, and just, just seeing so many of them over the years go by, you, you know, one, you just thank the Lord that, you know, he decided to keep you on this earth a little bit longer, oh, wow. you know, and, and, you know, and he called our brothers home a, a little sooner than we would have liked, but you know, that's not our plan. That's God's plan. And, uh, as, as far as the low points that that's, you know, anything else in the military I could take, but just 
those funerals were the things that, uh, you know, really, really gripped my heart and, and, um, and made it hard to go to work the next day. Sure, sure. And, and I can imagine, especially uh, when, when a lot of these uh, people, uh, you know, I, I, I would like to think I'm not in military, but the way that you guys project yourselves, it truly is like a family. A lot of times you spend more time with those people than you do with your actual family. No doubt. It, it is absolutely a family. I mean, and during my time in, I mean, my wife, you can, you can ask her, uh, but my, my friends and, and my fellow divers, you know, at, at times knew me better than my wife. Uh, you know, sometimes coming home, coming home from some things, you know, you come home a little bit different depending on the things that you did or you saw out there. And, um, yeah, it, it, it changes a man sometimes for the better, some, sometimes, uh, for the worse. Uh, but by the grace of God, I, I believe I've come back every time a, a better man. And, um, wow. you know, I've, I've tried to pass that all along. Wow, man. Okay, good. Okay. And, and you even dropped the better man in there. Cause I, I love you, man. I, I, I think of you as somebody who's a, who's pretty stoic. You're pretty level-headed. Now you just mentioned the wife and, um, you know, you are a family man as well. So what has that been like? Uh, raising a family, being a military man, having these really cool adventures, but also having a, a duty at home. Well, when I was in, it, it was difficult because it's it's hard to manage the time between work and family. And unfortunately, when you're in the military, you know, the job takes up a lot of your time, more than you would like. And Unfortunately, you know, I, I, I will admit this is that, you know, at times I, I didn't give enough attention and time to my family and, you know, and it, and it showed sometimes, but I always knew that I wanted a family and I always knew that my family was going to be my priority. And I could have stayed in the Navy a lot longer than I did. But when, you know, the 23 year mark came around, I knew it was time for me to start dedicating more of my life to my family. Wow. Um, I had, I had already done everything that I needed to do in, in the Navy. And it, it was time for me to get out and, and start pouring into my family, just like I poured into my career in the Navy. Wow. You know, what's cool is that there's a guy listening right now who can listen to this and he can, he can, he can take those words, let them soak in and he can change that for himself right now with his family. Uh, he doesn't have to wait for a 23 year mark. You know, uh, he doesn't, uh, the good thing is that you inspire people. So I, I appreciate that. And, and why don't, why don't we bring that to current then? Because as of late, you are inspiring people. You're even doing uh, public speaking uh, um, uh, events and uh, man, I'm just, I'm, I'm so proud of you, you know? Uh, so, so let's talk about the uh, new board or the board that you sit on. It's not new because it's been around for a little bit, but, but your portion of it is new. Yeah, I've uh, recently joined the Navy League of the United States here in the Central Florida region, and I'm I'm part of the Central Florida Navy League's Board of Directors. And what we do, you know, at the Navy League is we we help support from a civilian capacity the maritime organizations of the United States in our, in our military, such as the United States Navy, the Marine Corps the Coast Guard and our U.S. Merchant Marines. So we're advocates on their behalf as, as a civilian 
they're working their side in the military, although the merchant Marines are civilian, but we, we advocate for them as well. And it was one of the ways that I could continue to give back, um, you know, continue my service, even though I'm, I'm finished with my enlistment and, and my actual service in the military. Well, this was a outstanding way for me to continue to serve my brothers and sisters that are still serving. Wow. And we talked about on the air how with serving there, you guys have an event coming up to drum up money. Uh, I think fundraising is incredible. Like let, let, let's talk about that and what it, what it takes to run a 5k, 10k. Yeah. So this year I've had the outstanding opportunity to become the race director for the 13th annual wounded warfighter lone sailor 5k 10k and uh this race has been going on now like i said for this is 13th year and it's just a wonderful event that is you know family and and pet friendly i mean if you want to bring your dog out there your cat or whatever you walk on a leash these days you can come on out there (laughs) get some great exercise and you know this you know we we do this every year one to help promote you know physical fitness which you know everybody needs to be on top of these days especially in the climate and the world that we're living in right now but also um the the beneficiaries from the proceeds of these races are are unbelievable uh organizations and and the three organizations this year is the camaraderie foundation wake for warriors and project recover all three of these are are 501c3 nonprofit organizations that do unbelievable work uh, for people and uh, veterans and active duty uh, in the United States right now. Man, that's awesome. Yeah, I, I really appreciated you talking about it on the air because there's a lot of times where we can be the bridge to somebody who may not have even known that the, that this was going on, may not have even known that they have backup like this from organizations that, that exist. Um, and again, what, what I always say, uh, whether it's on the air or here in this podcast, is what we get to do is we get to be the, we get to br- be the bridge between the person who's got the want or, you know, so, so, so you would like for people to sign up and for people to give. All right. And then we've got the people who want to give and sometimes they can't make the event. So uh, can we plug that website where they can give if this is something that they're like, oh, I, I didn't even know something like this existed. How do I find out more? How do I give? I, I can't necessarily make the event because I'm out of state, but how can I give? So where, where would I find that? Well, if you go to the Central Florida Navy League's webpage, which is cfnavyleague.org, and under their events tab, if you click on that, you'll see the 5K, 10K tab. And when you click on that right there, it'll bring up all the information that you need for the race. And even if you can't be there uh, in person to run the race, we, we have an option to virtually run the race. So, um, you know, we have a lot of people that, that love the central Florida council because we do a lot of, we do a lot of different and innovative things around here that, you know, people just have been really raving about. And so, you know, we've got people from California, Maine, you know, Texas, you know, they, they want to help out, you know, this particular council. So what they do is they go on there, they run it virtually and, uh, you know, they can, uh, give graciously if they, uh, you know, if they see fit. 
Sure, sure. You know, because the way that God works is, you know, he's got you, the organizer, the mouthpiece. He's got people who are specifically blessed with funding gifts, you know, people who just love to, to be philanthropists and, and fund projects like this. And then he's got the people who actually want to run and, and bring awareness. And then he's got the people who share on social media. And what's cool is that everybody gets to play a part. So that's why, um, that's why, that's why we love being the bridge. You know, there could be somebody listening right now who's got one of those gifts and, uh, and they'd love to jump in. Now there, now, there is something that you and I have talked about in the past, which I think is absolutely brilliant. I know that this is where your heart is really, really, really anchored. Um, and it is Project Recover. Uh, I didn't know that this ex existed until you brought it to my attention. I think it's brilliant. Anybody who's in the military or thinking of joining, um, this is how much the U.S. has got your back after serving. So, so can, we, can we talk about Project Recover, please? Yeah, of course. You know, as I, you know, we, we've talked in the past, Obi, about this. And, and one of the things that I always say is that, you know, not a lot of people know that, you know, the, the U.S. government, we are still going back and trying to find people, POWs, MIAs from past wars and conflicts going all the way back to World War II. As a matter of fact, I just returned from the island nation of Palau about six months ago, and we were able to um, have a very successful mission. Let me just put it that way, um, with uh, with uh, with an operation we did out there, and not not too many people know about that. And I think that's something that needs to get you know disseminated more out to the public because it's just such a feel good uh, thing to know that you know when we signed on that dotted line, when I signed my enlisted or enlistment paperwork, you know, one of the things that we promise one another is that we're never gonna leave a brother or sister behind. And you know, war, war is a, is a hellish thing that I, that I wish didn't exist, but unfortunately it does. And sometimes we can't always bring everyone back due to certain circumstances. And, and one of the big ones is, you know, during World War II, you know, we had a lot of, uh, you know, that, that was a very, um, you know, large naval, uh, you know, kind of, uh, of existence, kind of war with that. So, right. you know, a lot of people that, you know, were that ships were sunk and airplanes that were shot down. Unfortunately, they, they have went into the ocean. Some of, some of the parts of the ocean that are, that are just so deep and so vast that, you know, we may not ever be able to get to those people. And, wow. and unfortunately we have to accept that. But the good thing is, is that a lot of these, uh, people, who, you know, pay the ultimate price for our freedom, they are in areas that they can be recovered. And it just takes a lot of hard work. It takes people with passion to do that hard work. And it, it takes uh, the funding from the federal government and from philanthropic people and organizations uh, donating money so that people like Project the people of Project Recover and my company, which is Project Recover's diving asset we've partnered and we have now been going out finding these aircraft finding these sites and we are starting to dive and doing what we can to repatriate these americans and bring them back home to american soil which is 
what we promised to do with them if Golly. they had ever perished. Golly, and the way you roll it out, it makes me feel so patriotic. You know, that um, that e- even a kid sitting around right now and saying, wow, well, you know, my dad's dad told the stories, you know, about his dad flying out there and he got shot down and, you know, well, that's it, you know, and, and uh, you know, we, we, we live off of his memory. Well, you guys are actually going out there and you're making, you're, you're bringing those bodies back, which solidifies some people's full circle of, okay, now I've got closure. Um, not only that, but I- I'm, I'm impressed. I'm impressed that the U.S. that the U.S. is going back with this information and finding these places down deep in the depths where I, I would assume other countries they don't have the means or or uh, the people passionately equipped to go search the bottom of the ocean, which is endless. So I think that's really cool. When you told me that, I said, "Wow!" So we're actually still going back for those old, old, old wreckages or or, or yeah. wrecks. Sorry, wrecks. Yeah. <laughs> No, we, we are. And, you know, some, some people have described this as trying to find the smallest needle in the largest haystack. And, and it really is. And, and going back to the modest beginnings of Project Recover, um, I mean, we don't have enough time in this podcast to, to talk about all this stuff. But the way, and I, I will share this with you because it, it, it makes me laugh you know, being where we're at now and the technology that we have available to us now. But when Project Recover first started and they were in the South Pacific, uh, in Palau in particular, the way they used to identify these wrecks, and and I, I promise you I'm telling you the truth, Obi, they used to hang off the side of dive boats with scuba masks on and snorkels and literally looking down at the bottom of the ocean. Cause the water there is so clear. You could see down to the bottom. Wow. And you know, at that time, this was the only means that they had available to them. Wow. You know, this is how passionate these people were about that, but they knew that, you know, this, they, they had to get some help if, if they were really going to make a difference, you know, with this project and, 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 you know, thank, thank God that, there are other philanthropic people around the world that, you know, recognize that this mission needs to get done. And so fast forward time, uh, a decade or two, um, project recover now has partnered with two unbelievable institutions. And most people have, have heard of these places before. One is the, uh, Scripps Institute of Oceanography, um, with, and, and also the University of Delaware. Now, what these two organizations have done is giving, given Project Recover the technology that they need to find these wrecks faster, more efficiently, safer. So instead of a diver going down there and looking for it uh, initially, they send the underwater autonomous vehicles. They look like little torpedoes, you know, wow, and, they, yeah. and they're lit. They're literally remote controlled machines that basically uh, mow the lawn, so to speak. They, they have a pattern where they just pretend like you're mowing your backyard, and that's what these things do. And they have uh, sophisticated equipment on there that can pick up uh, airplane wrecks. Uh, metal, any, anything metallic underwater, they, they find these hits. So now instead of a diver trying to find them all, this equipment finds them. And then that allows people like myself and, and my team to actually dive down and check it out to verify whether it's a wreck or not. Now, sometimes it is, sometimes it's not, but 
more time than not, when we go down there and we find out that that is an aircraft, I can't even explain to you the feeling. It, it's, it's, um, man, it's like, it's like finding a $20 bill in your pocket, you know, when you, <laughs> when you didn't know it was there, you know, you're like, Oh man, but man, multiply that by a thousand. Wow. And that's what you feel like underwater when you, when you find something that people have been looking for, for about 77 years. Wow. All right. Okay. So, so let's talk about the process. Okay. So you find something, uh, uh, maybe, you know, you're, you're able to recover the body. Like what, what's, what happens afterwards? Well, when we go down there and when we're fortunate enough to find remains, now you have to keep in mind if we're talking about World War II, for example, uh, the, those, there, those there is, have been so, so deteriorated, right? Yeah, exactly. So we're not bringing up bodies per se. We're bringing up the remains of uh, which are normally, uh, you know, the bones and, uh, you know, osteous material as the, uh, the uh, archaeologists like to say so we so when we go down there and and we get fortunate enough to find those you know those you know those remains are handled with the utmost respect and you know those those remains are are brought up and um they are they are cared for they're cared for like the most precious thing you could ever imagine and 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 everything is documented uh the team of people that we have on board um you know w with along with the the project recover team members we also have archaeologists uh, members from the defense pow mia accounting agency on board as well as the uh the dive team and uh, uh and other individuals so <laughs> it's a gigantic team wow and 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 once we bring those up and over those things are secured um locked in, in, in secure cases that are brought back with the team to uh, two places in the United States, which is the identification labs for the DPAA. One is located in Pearl Harbor, Hawaii, and the other one is in Nebraska. So then those remains go back, and there at the lab, they start to go through the process of identifying the DNA, wow. which they need to harvest from the remains. And, and hopefully, you know, those remains, because you have to remember, Obi, these remains, some of these remains, if we're talking about World War II, they've been underwater for 70 plus years, some of them going on 77, almost 80 years. So there is a sense of urgency for us to get these, these up and out of the water, because there can come a time where these remains no longer have viable or recoverable DNA in them. So we're trying to get these up you know, and get them back, get them identified. Um, and we also, uh, when, when this happens, because we know who these people are through the flight records and the flight manifest through Naval records, um, you know, that the department of defense provides for us. So what happens is a request goes out to the family to get their DNA, but we, we never ever tell a family that we have found anything until there is 100% confirmation through the DNA testing that this in fact is their family member, because the worst thing, the last thing we would ever want to do is give false hope to a family and let them down. That would wow. be horrible. I can't even imagine that. So well, and that basically is the process. 
Well, and, and what I think is cool too is that, uh, you know, even if we're talking, you know, 70 years plus later, uh, for a family to find out that information that an ancestor, you know, that their remains have been uh, recovered, that respect has been paid, honor has been paid to this individual who, um, who you know, basically gave their life to protect this country. I, I can imagine that that, that gives a, a nice sense of closure to the family tree, you know, uh, to, to that family. You know, even if it's 70 years plus, you've got the family there that feels a sense of, wow, what a hero, and he's home. No doubt. Uh, a MIA family is, is never really whole. And what I mean by that is there's always that question. You're right, the closure. There's never been closure for whoever, the father, uh, the uncle, the, the husband, the wow. brother. You know, there, there's, all, there's always questions of, of what happened and, and where. And, and, and you know as well as I do, Hobie, back in the day, you know, th there was very limited information that, you know, the military could give the families back then. You know, unfortunately, somebody, you know, was pulling up in the driveway, um, you know, with that yellow letter. And uh, sometimes it was a uniformed member. Uh, most of the times they had a chaplain with them. And I just I can't even imagine the the feeling that those family members felt when they when they saw those individuals walking up to their doorstep because wow. they they knew they knew what that was and to never have those answers um given to them it just leaves a hole that that is just indescribable and and when and we're we're able to provide those answers back to them it's um i've had i've had some family members describe it as as you know a hole in their heart being stitched up and, wow and, you know it's 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 unbelievable and and it just it, it changes you when you have the opportunity to do that I, i've done many um you know what what some people may think are are incredible things in in the military but but i tell you this obi there is not one thing that i've done in the military that even comes close to the the feeling that you get when you're able to bring somebody's family member home i just i, I can't i can't describe it. it it's very hard to describe well i i love the way you put it uh you know basically sewing the holes shut of the hearts of america and i i man i i think that's so beautiful so uh, again on with john marsack and he's sharing with us about project recover uh where they actually go back and some of those uh those ships some of those planes they go back and they find them and uh, I think that that's brilliant. If, if anybody wants more information on that or how to how to discover more about it, where can they go? Yeah, you can go right to the Project Recover website, and that's projectrecover.org. If you go right to their website right there, they got an unbelievable website that gives, you know, their mission, vision, and values. You you can learn about everything that they do there. And, and another thing that I would like to share with you that everybody will see if they go to the website, Project Recover has recently come out with a documentary. And, Obi, it is unbelievable. If, if you are... If, if your heart is stirred by what we're talking about today, I highly encourage everybody that's listening to check out this documentary. And, and I will tell you this right now, 
Um, it, it is a, it is a tearjerker. Um, it, it, it is a, it is a great documentary to, um, watch with your family. If you, if you really want to get across to your family and especially maybe some of your, uh, you, you know, your, your children that may be of age now where they're in like middle school or high school and they're learning about world war II, this, this documentary will show you some things that will make you cry just because it, the, 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 some of the horrors of war are, are shown in there, but it also, they, they also do an amazing job with the interviews of these men that were in these battles in World War II, and they're telling you about their buddies, and they're telling you about these missions, and they're telling you about the holes that it's left in them, the vacancy wow. of, of coming back home without their their brothers that they went to boot camp and training with and trained years and years with it. It is so good. And, and it was, it was so well documented that uh, myself, I've watched it probably four times now, (laughs) but this, this will really like, I'm pretty sure that I'm not doing it any justice right now, but if you watch this documentary, you will know what project recover is doing and you you will be more grateful for these people and in America for what they're doing to bring closure to the families and the nation as a whole. Wow. Wow. So good. So good. Well, John, I want to be respectful of your time. But before before we hang on for right now, um, because I am going to ask you to come back so we can do another podcast. I want to dive in a little bit deeper. Uh, there's, there's so much um, that you're up to, uh, but I do want to ask about the future. What is in for the future for John Marsak? You know, when it's all said and done uh, and, and Project Recover has done well, or, or, or is that something that you want to happen for a long time and, and, and you don't ever want to retire? Well, I'll tell you what, man, I'm not going to, uh, retire anytime soon, um, <laughs> but, but you know, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to keep, uh, making bubbles underwater, uh, until I physically am not able to, uh, you, you're, that's going to be pretty difficult to keep me out of the water. I'm just going to say that right now. But, uh, but as far as the future, you know, although I, I do own a commercial diving company, um, you know, this stuff that we're doing with project recover has, has basically taken a hold of my heart and and I really want to commit uh, the rest of, of my life um, to bringing these men home. And, and, and I want to be, you know, I want to be part of of project recover and every possible mission that they are, are part of. And as a whole there, you know, there are, um, different organizations that do this work as well. Um, and at the end of the day, the, the, the thing is, is that we want to bring as many people home as possible. Now, whether um, that is with Project Recover or Project Recover partners with uh, other um, um, military organizations or civilian organizations, I don't care who we partner with what I care about is bringing as many people home as possible. And if I can't physically do it underwater doing it, well, I'll be on top and I'll be supervising and I'll be running these missions and I'll be, I'll be, you know, asking these philanthropic people to help us bring 
Americans back home where they belong. That is what the future of John Marsak has in store. I love it, man. I love it. So you are, uh, you're definitely a better man, bro. I, I thank you for saying yes to this. You're, you're two beautiful kids, uh, your wonderful wife, and, and just the fact that this is on your heart to help closure for families out there. And uh, not only that, to pay the tribute, to pay the honor to those who have fought for us and, uh, and they're not forgotten. So I think you're, you're an incredible human, man. And I'm glad that God's, that God's giving you this kind of a heart, you know, and a heart for this kind of stuff. Well, I'm only doing this because God allows me to. He has pushed me in this direction. I have prayed for a mission after the military, and he has given it to wow. me. So I thank God every day for this. Well, brother, you keep it up, man. And those speaking engagements that, that you have, I mean, I, I only see more of them popping up as God continues to use you as a as a beautiful tool, brother. Well, I appreciate it, Obi. Thank you so much for everything you do, man. And uh Keep doing it, and anytime you need me back, you just say the word. All right. John Marsak, and I get to serve with him at church. He's on the security team, and I'm on the welcoming team, which is really cool because we bump into each other a lot. And it's over the years that I've been able to hear more of his story, find out more about him. And if you were to see John, he is like the picture-perfect body-type, soldier-looking, Aquaman-type guy and it's really great that god puts something so cool and something so sensitive on a dude like that on his heart because when john talks and and, and you heard me uh wish him luck on his speaking engagements in the future because when you see him in person he's just a great salesman for this and uh, not that he's trying to be a salesman this is all his heart so again we want to thank him uh i go back to thanking our leadership team there at better man 365 you know everybody from uh eric to uh, brian buckley to andy searles uh anthony ty who sets up a lot of these interviews with joe schlabach and uh really i get to come in here and just kind of fire off as an interviewer while we have a huge team working in the background and it's a well-oiled machine and to God be the glory for all of that, because to be honest, a lot of us have our day jobs, uh, busy with life, much like you are, you, the listener, somebody who's listening right now, uh, you've got a busy life. So you know what that is to do stuff on the side. This is never a side project though. This is always what all of us wish we could be doing full time is this better man 365. So from our hearts to you, take advantage of those resources that we give you on the website. Please take advantage of the app. And I uh, can't wait to see you at the next event in September. For all of that information, betterman365.com. My name is Obi Diaz, and I'll catch you on the next one.